Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan Trekkingast, and I am one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, and I'd like to, to start off this morning by reading for you just a few things uh, from a list uh, that I found of some newsworthy items of 2020. Uh, and these are just some things that I found with a very cursory uh, look through uh, the world of the internet. And uh, I'm sure that there are many, many more things um, that we could find. But here are just a few of the things from, from 2020. 21% um, of the Australian forests have burned. Uh, there are floods in Indonesia volcanic eruptions in the Philippines. There was a 6.7 and a 7.7 .7 magnitude earthquake uh, in Turkey and in the Caribbean, respectively. There are swarms of locusts that are devastating the countries in East Africa, the worldwide pandemic of COVID-19, racial tension and riots and political turmoil in the U.S., murder hornets, zombie fires, and now a transoceanic dust storm. Uh, these things are all just within the last few months. Uh, and these things have left many people asking the question, how much longer can this possibly go on? I've heard on several occasions, and I've even wondered myself the question, are these the end times? Does this signify that, that we are in the end times? And this is not a foolish question. This is a question that we really must grapple with. Uh, in fact, earlier in Luke, uh, earlier in Luke, we've been studying through the book of Luke for many, many weeks and months now. Um, and earlier, Jesus criticized his audience in chapter 12, verse 56, where he says, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present times? Uh, and this is a common theme. Later uh, in Luke verse 21, Jesus is going to give more of these signs, many signs of the end of the age. And they're repeated for us in the parallel verses and chapters in Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 talks about these same things as well. So this question are these the end times, or as it's worded in today's text, when will the kingdom of God come? This is not a foolish question to ask, but rather it's essential. And in the text that we're going to read today, I think that Jesus really helps us to grapple with this question. He helps his disciples to, to consider this question and to come to some very important conclusions. Today, we're going to begin with Luke 17, verse 11, and we're going to read through chapter 18, verse 8. And I hope that today we're going to see that the kingdom of God has already arrived in Jesus. He is the hope of salvation. So we should be waiting for the kingdom by means of an active relationship with him. We're going to see this this morning through three parts, uh, starting in 17 verses 11 through 19, where Jesus provides us with a beautiful reminder of what the kingdom of God actually is. That is salvation through faith. And then we're going to see how this is accomplished in verses 20 through 37, which is through Jesus 
who is now and will be revealed to mankind. And so then we conclude by seeing what we are to do in the face of this current and future revelation, which is to pray and to not lose heart. So let's start by reading together Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, and we'll set the scene here this morning for a totally new section in the book of Luke uh, by remembering what the kingdom of God is. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In these verses, Jesus reminds his audience, probably uncomfortably for many of them, that healing and inclusion in the kingdom of God comes through faith. And I want us to start uh, by not missing verse 11, which is a, is a short little introduction here, but it's an important one, where it says, on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, and we've been talking throughout the book of Luke as we've been studying this, that this is an important indicator of a brand new section. Uh, we're in a large part of Luke, which has been exploring the goals of Jesus and Christianity as a whole. And throughout this section, this, this phrase, on the way to Jerusalem, has been an indicator for us that we're starting a new topic. Um, we've covered three so far uh, where we've been talking about on the way to Jerusalem. The first was where we were hearing the proclamation of his kingdom. And then in the new section on the way to Jerusalem, we heard about growing his kingdom. And then a new part on the way to Jerusalem, he was numbering his citizens. And so here today, we're on a new section where we're going to start talking about the timing of his kingdom. This timing is what we're going to be covering, and this is going to be the major theme of the next several chapters and the next several weeks that we're going to be talking and studying through Luke together. So I want to make sure we don't miss that beginning here. And the setting is also very important that Jesus sets for us between Samaria and Galilee, smack dab in the middle here between uh, the Jews and one of the Jews' greatest enemies, the Samaritans. Uh, there's a huge amount of tension implied here in this setting of on the way to Jerusalem between Samaria and Galilee. Because we often think of Samaritans as the good Samaritan uh, because of the context that we know from Scripture and our cultural understanding there. But of the Jews at that time, the Samaritans would have been 
anything but good. In fact, that's why that story was important, because it was a contrast. Um, and we see in verse 12 through 15 that we are talking not just about Samaritans here um, and, and one Jew, but we're also talking about lepers. Uh, and the lepers were the most unclean of people in that culture, the people who would be untouchables, uh, the people who who were separated from God because of their uncleanliness. So the setting of this story that we're we're talking about this morning is really important because the only thing that could possibly in the minds of a Jewish person have been more uh, terrible or unwelcome than a leper could possibly have been a Samaritan leper. Uh, this is double terrible things that we're dealing with here. So as we talk this morning, we're going to be, uh, I want you to, to feel the impact that this would have had for Jesus' audience. Um, in verse 16, where he has this one sentence, he just says, now he was a Samaritan. That would have really gotten their attention. That would have been like a punch in the face to many of those who were listening, uh, hearing this story. Uh, it reminded me of a, of a time when I was maybe 10 or 12, um, and I was taking karate and learning how to, to, to do punches, and my friend came over one evening, and I wanted to show him this awesome punch that I had learned, and I said, hey, hey, Zach, pay attention here. I'm going to, let me show you the perfect punch, and I punched right towards his face, uh, and he didn't hear what I had said before, and he said, what? What did you say? And he turned his head right as I punched, and I punched him smack dab in the face as hard as I could. Uh, and, ne and neither of us were expecting that moment when I just hit him and he fell to the ground um, and was totally shocked by the impact uh, that, that he received. And that would have been the, the emotional feeling here that this story uh, that Jesus is sharing uh, here would have, would have had because it was unexpected and it was powerful. Because he didn't just, he's not just talking about physical healing from leprosy. It's going so much deeper. And I think he starts talking about that in verse 19. He says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I think it's important that we understand the implications of leprosy. That in the scriptures, this is often referred, used to represent sin. This is why leprosy was such a big deal in the Old Testament. And there are many, um, many references and, and regulations in the Old Testament about how to deal with leprosy and people who have leprosy. Uh, it separated you from God because of the uncleanliness. They couldn't even go into the temple. And so when we refer to leprosy in the Old Testament, it doesn't just refer to that physical skin disease. It's also talking about the consequences, the, the pervasive and deadly consequences of sin. And so here we see these nine people or these 10 people who are healed from leprosy. All of them were healed from leprosy, but only one of them, I think, was forgiven from his sin because of his faith. He recognized who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of doing for him and what Jesus had done. And so his, his faith cleansed him not only from his leprosy, but also from his sin. 
but there were nine who failed to recognize that and therefore failed to give God the praise and the glory that he was due in this story. So why does Luke start this section about the timing of God's kingdom with this story? This story about healing from uh, forgiveness from sin and healing because of faith. I think it's because he's going to demonstrate to us what a crucial step in this process. Sorry, he's going to demonstrate for us a very crucial step in this process. The question of when the kingdom of God will come, we first have to answer the question of what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is not. Because if we're asking when it happens, when this occurs, we need to understand what it is and what it is not. And I think from this story, we see some very important things. Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom of not, or sorry, the kingdom of God here is not simply a Jewish birthright. It's not simply something that all of the Jews will inherit. We see that demonstrated because of the nine who did not come back. They were healed of their leprosy, but not forgiven of their sin. We see that it is not simply a cleansing from bodily disease. When the kingdom of God comes, it is not simply the, the, the healing of our earthly circumstances. And we see that it's not even simply miraculous signs. Even though Jesus does this amazing miracle at this point, we see that that is not exclusively what the kingdom of God is fundamentally about. And all of those things may accompany that kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is much, much deeper than that. It is salvation from the healing hand of God through faith. And friends, we cannot forget that. As we consider this question of when the kingdom of God will come, we have to keep right there in our minds this whole time what the kingdom, excuse me, what the kingdom of God is. Because it's so easy to lose sight of that. And, and we will then miss the when if we miss the what it is. So when we consider these as we move forward, uh, please, let's just say that one more time, that the kingdom of God is salvation from God through faith. That is what this is. So let's keep reading, and we'll get into the heart of this question this morning of when the kingdom of God will come. Read with me verses 20 through 37, and notice that that question of when is dependent on our understanding of who as well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, 
so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In these verses, I think that Jesus is answering for us the question of when the kingdom of God will come by reminding both the Pharisees and his disciples that the kingdom of God is coming in ways that they will not be able to perceive by looking for what they expect. The kingdom of God is synonymous with his saving work. And so it has both already been revealed in him and it will be further revealed in coming judgment. In verse 20, this question is asked for us explicitly. And this is the heart of what we're talking about this morning. When will the kingdom of God come? And so Jesus challenges the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is not what they think it is. It is in him salvation through faith. And because he's standing there before them in the person of Jesus Christ, it has already come. They just need eyes to see it. They're looking externally for the kingdom of God. They're looking over here or over there. But the kingdom of God is an internal truth. It is a work of salvation through Jesus. And so what they are expecting, this political uh, entity, this, this physical representation on earth is not what they're going to be able to see. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples and he challenges their expectations too. They, they have already witnessed and experienced the revelation of Jesus for, for years through the work that he has been doing up until this point. But even they don't have this full grasp of the picture of what Jesus is doing here at that moment on earth. And so they're waiting just as much as the Pharisees. 
They're expecting something that Jesus is telling them they will not be able to see. Verse 22 says, you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. So he's he's warning them, and I think warning us as other disciples of his, not to give in to the temptation to make the kingdom of God fit into the expectations that we have for it here externally. And there will be plenty of opportunities for us to do that. We will hear, look there, look there. This is the kingdom of God. This is what we expect to see. And Jesus warns us, do not go out and follow them in verse 23. The warning is the same, both to the Pharisees and to the disciples. Do not look here or there. Do not go out and follow these tempting um, tempting options or, or these tempting interpretations to say this is what the kingdom of God is. It is here, and it will come like lightning. Jesus gives us these visible pictures, these visible uh, expressions of an invisible kingdom. What will our invisible kingdom look like? Well, it will look like these visible things. And the first uh, example he gives, I love this, is lightning. Uh, there are a few things that I love here because lightning, during a thunderstorm, you expect to see lightning. It is expected, but it is still completely unpredictable. When will this happen? Where will it be? You know it's going to happen, but you have to be watching for it to see it because it is both unpredictable or it is unpredictable and it is instantaneous and it is vast. It covers the sky. This reminded me of, of another time with my brothers uh, when I was riding uh, in the car. We would go, we would be driving somewhere in the car during a thunderstorm. And one of our favorite things to do was to point out the window when we would see lightning. And we would go, look over there. Did you see that? Wow, that was amazing. But you either were looking for it and you saw it when it happened or you missed it. And you say, where, where was it? I didn't see it. And you and you crane your head, and it's too late. The lightning has already passed, and so it doesn't. It does. You can't look even to where your brother is pointing and and see it by the time that it has already come. So we you can't give up looking, even if all you're doing is staring for for minutes on end into the darkness. If you stop looking, you will miss it, and so the lightning. In order to see it, you have to keep your eyes open. And I love this because I think this really is the, the image that Jesus is painting for his disciples of what the next years of their life are going to look like. Verse 25 says, first you must, first he that is the son of man, that is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And so he's telling his disciples, don't be discouraged when you just look into the coming darkness. You are about to see some terrible, terrible things, but they are just the, the, pre, the prelude to this flash of revelation that is coming at the end of this generation. So don't be discouraged. You must watch 
for this coming lightning. You can't simply wait for it to happen and then turn to look for it. Jesus gives two more illustrations uh, here in these verses of what the coming kingdom of God will be like. He describes two stories uh, that there are many, many parallels between. He describes the story of Noah and of Lot in verses 26 through 29. And there are a few things that I want to draw out here that are commonalities between these two. The first, that in both of these stories, there is rampant sin and there is promised judgment. So we hear the story uh, in Noah that, that it says that, that every thought of mankind was turned towards wickedness. And we know the story of Sodom uh, in of, of Lot, that this city was so consumed by wickedness that God promises judgment will come, both on the earth in the case of Noah and on the city of Sodom in the case of Lot. But in both of these stories, another common theme here is that there is a period of seeming delay by God or even failure to follow through on his promise of judgment. He has said, look at how sinful this place is. I will bring judgment, but it doesn't happen right away. There is a delay. There is a waiting. There is a period where things can go back to, quote, normal, where things go back to the way they were. Everyday life, complacency. We see people eating and drinking and marrying and buying and selling and planting and building and just all of the things that go on in regular life. And though there is sin that is rampant in these places, what Jesus points out here are not the evil things or the sinful things. They're just life going on and continuing mundanely. And I think he's pointing out here that the, in this period of waiting, the invisible loses out to the visible and the regular. That people can go about just their everyday life because they see it. It's something that is right there and it's, it's in front of their eyes every day. You eat, you drink, you marry, you, you, you buy, you sell. These are things that happen and it becomes easy for us to lose sight of the promises of God, the promised salvation through faith that is coming and has come, but we lose sight of it because of all of the things that are in our face. So it's, it's very important that we don't allow that to happen in our lives, both for the Pharisees and the disciples and for us. We cannot allow ourselves to lose sight of those promises. Because the conclusion, the third thing that is true in both of these stories, is the judgment that comes on those who do not believe. And the salvation through faith of those few who heard God and believed. Both Noah and Lot were saved because they believed God. And yet those who failed to hear and believe experienced great judgment. And it says they were all destroyed. So verse 30 says that this is how it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The kingdom of God has already come through salvation or of salvation through faith in Jesus. 
as he has come already. But the next coming, the next revelation of who Jesus is will be accompanied by very great judgment. And so we must be asking ourselves now, in the face of that judgment, where do you put the security of your life? Verse 33 says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. This is the question that we are, everyone of Jesus' audience and us are dealing with. When we are faced with this judgment, where do we put our faith? Do we depend on the goods that are in our house for what we've prepared for ourselves? We have spent our whole lifetime preparing security for ourselves and security for our children and many people for our grandchildren. Is that where we put our hope? Friends, this would be like wanting to protect yourself from drowning. And so when the boat crashes into the rocks, you run back inside and you put on your full suit of armor so that you will be protected. You have been preparing for for attack or danger your whole life. So you have this armor ready to go and you put it on and then you jump into the terrible ocean. Friends, that is what trusting on anything other than the Son of Man is like. Or in contrast, when you are faced with God's judgment, do you put your life in his hands? And do you depend and and turn yourself over completely to the mercy of the judge? Which of those two options is more rational. Where do you turn when faced with judgment? And the illustration that that Jesus gives here in verse 37 is is very grim um, of this this coming judgment. He, He paints this picture of these vultures that are circling a, a dead body. And he says, when you are tempted to to lose sight of the invisible Look to the visible, the visible vultures that are now circling this inevitable, but as yet invisible corpse. The judgment is coming, and there are, even when you can't see it, there are the signs, the visible signs of the invisible judgment. And that is what we must look to, to remind ourselves not to lose sight of the promises of God to depend fully on that salvation through faith and not to depend on what we can see here and now. And so with this very morbid warning, this powerful morbid warning, uh, we are left with this question, what do we actually do about it? What do we actually do about it? If this judgment is coming and the end times are coming, then so what? What does that mean we do? And I remember struggling with this question as a high school student, um, being, being convicted of the, the, the trajectory of our world and really wondering what I should do. Should I even bother going to school every day? Should I bother going to college? Should I bother studying to get a career? What should I do if this judgment is coming? How do we respond to this current 
and future revelation of Jesus. Should, should we stockpile beans? Should we, should we stop saving for future uh, needs? Should we stop eating, drinking, marrying, buying, selling, planting, building? All of these things that, that Jesus refers to here is the application that we should stop doing all of these things. Fortunately, Jesus gives us some insight. I think he answers this question for us uh, in the next few verses. Uh, we're going to read Luke 18, 1 through 8, and see how we are respond to this revelation of Jesus and this coming judgment. And the answer, friends, is that we're to respond not with apathy and not with anger or fear, but with prayer and with faith and above all, with hope. Let's read these verses together. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give, sorry, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In verse 2, Jesus sets up a contrast here between an unjust, unscrupulous, unrighteous judge. And he contrasts this individual with Yahweh God. This is not because in any way that God is like this judge, but rather the complete opposite. He illustrates that even someone so completely opposite from God, so completely divorced from the, the ideals of justice and, and love, even that person responds to the undaunted, persistent pleading of the innocent. Verse 5 says, I will give her justice. So someone to whom the concept of justice is completely foreign will give justice to the undaunted, pleading, beseeching requests of the innocent. So how much more will a righteous, compassionate, and loving God delight in giving justice to his own who have been saved by faith, who have been justified and made right before him. 
who plead with him for his coming and for his justice to be brought to earth. He delights in revealing himself to them. And their job is simply to be persistent in that faith, to depend on him, to come to him again and again and again. This is like we read at the very beginning this morning of the Samaritan who was cleansed from his leprosy. He returned to give praise to God, to give thanksgiving to God for the miraculous salvation and healing that he already experienced. We come, friends, to have faith before the Lord. But verse 8 warns that like there were those nine who failed to return, who were cleansed of leprosy, who failed to recognize that revelation of Jesus, that there will be a great lack of faith on the earth when that final revelation of him comes. So it says, when the Son of Man comes, in verse 8, will he find faith on earth? And the implication is that he will find very little faith. And though God has given opportunity again and again during this period to, to have himself be revealed, that final revelation will still come as a shock to many people who were blinded to those promises, blinded to that invisible kingdom of God by the persistent visible. And so our response is clearly spelled out in verse 1. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. Friends, there is nothing to fear in the coming revelation of Jesus to those who have already recognized him and have already put their life in his hands, who have lost their life so that he may be responsible for it. For them, for us, we wait eagerly, watching the sky for that moment when he will be revealed to the world. We continue to find our life in him day and night with great hope, not losing heart. No matter how dark it is, no matter what the night looks like, we know that he is coming because he has already come. He has already been revealed. And when we see that, there is nothing to fear as we look to see that coming revelation again. So friends, when will the kingdom of God come? It has already come now in the saving work of Jesus Christ for those who believe. When will the Son of Man be revealed? He has already been revealed now to those who have faith to see. And he will be revealed again to all of mankind. And this will be accompanied by judgment. So are these the end times? Yes, these are absolutely the end times. 
But we have to understand what that means. That means that it is just a further revelation of what has already occurred. In Matthew 24, 34 through 35, that's the parallel account of what we're reading here this morning. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These, friends, are the, the end times, the revelation of who Jesus was. But the times of the apostles were no less the end times than we are in today. We are all of us. Luke, the author of this book, Paul, who was on trial for his life, you and me, we are all of us a part of this final generation of man. What is that generation? The generation of the sons of Christ. We are that generation, the children of the second Adam. And we will not pass away until every word that Jesus promised that is spoken in the word of God has come to pass. Those end times are still on us. And if the end times began with Jesus, then when will the end times end? I have no idea. It might be tomorrow. It might be in uncounted years from now. I don't know when the end times will end. But when we ask that question, is this the end times? The answer is yes. And we don't know how long that will go on for. But when it ends, we know a few things about how it will end. It will end like a flash of lightning. It will end as Jesus has been giving time for salvation, for people to come to his revelation prior to that judgment. It will, it will come like a much restrained judgment has finally, finally come. The widow has finally received the answer from the righteous judge. It will come like a protracted labor that has finally concluded. Romans 8, 22 through 24 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this, for in this hope, we were saved. Friends, we may not know when the end times will end, but we know how they will end. And for those of us who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, then his revelation can only be a relief. His future revelation can only be a relief. So why would you fear? You've already received the kingdom of God. 
So there is nothing that can happen on this earth that could possibly tear us from him. So friends, how do we apply all of this that we have talked about this morning? I think that we are challenged not to be complacent, simply waiting for the kingdom of God to arrive externally. But friends, rather we must actively seek to experience that kingdom of God daily through our prayer and through our faith. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus, if he has already been revealed to you and your hope for life is hidden in him, then you have absolutely nothing to fear. Whether the end of the end times comes tomorrow or hundreds or thousands of years in the future, every day you can live deepening that understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And you can watch expectantly for when all of the world will finally know him like you do. And friends, you can pray for that time. You can can hope in his justice that will come on this earth. And you can hope in the redemption of your body. And brothers and sisters, above all, you can hope in your adoption as a son or a daughter of God. This is how you can pray every day as we go into this expectant coming of the kingdom of God. As it says at the end, you can pray for justice or you can pray and not lose heart. Some days, I know many of you pray in groans to endure through what feels like the pains of childbirth. Your prayers are, Lord, how long can this go on? And those prayers can be prayers of hope in a just God who longs to bring you salvation who longs to be with you and to end that suffering. I know some of you pray to endure what feels to you like the never-ending routine. You eat, you drink, you buy, you sell, and it just goes on seeming meaninglessly. And you pray to endure that time. To believe the word of the Lord, the invisible promises that he has given you, that he has come. And you can believe in faith that those days are purposeful, that every day is used to further the kingdom that has already come. And though it seems far off, it is near. If either of those are your prayers, you can live each day glorying in that kingdom that has already come, in the salvation from God through faith. You can recognize that miracle every day that he gives us to go on 
which could be the last one. But if you are not a disciple of Jesus, if he has not been revealed to you as the source of your hope and the keeper of your life, then my friend, please do not lose yourself in the seeming normalcy of everyday life. It's amazing how comfortable we can get with just every day being like the previous day. The apparent delay of this final revelation of Jesus is not proof that it is not coming. And so for you, friend, I pray that you see the evidence of death in your life and that you let it drive you to lose your life that you may find it in the salvation in him. That you see those visible indicators of that death which might be hidden from you, invisible, but no less dead than a corpse. So I hope there that today, this morning, you have been both challenged and encouraged. Encouraged in the face of a world full of the unknown, full of the signs of the end times. But that you are encouraged and that you have been brought to hope that for those of us who recognize the saving work of Christ on the cross, who have returned to him with thanksgiving and praise, that these things that we see can only drive us into a deeper relationship with him. They have no power to enlist in us despair or fear because our hope can never be in the possessions or the securities of this world, which is all that the, the things that we see here are capable of threatening. There is no hope in going down to our house and getting the things from our living room in preparation for this. Because the kingdom of God has already come. It has already come in Jesus. And it is coming in Jesus. So friends, pray and have hope that though you lose your life, you will find it in him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, uh, for your words this morning. God, thank you for encouraging me uh, in these uh, words, in this passage, Lord, that we got to study this morning. Father, I pray that you would come quickly. Lord, that you would bring justice on this earth. Lord, that those of us who are waiting through painful painful things would be given relief, God, that we would be given relief now, today, and that we would be given future absolute and complete relief soon. Lord, I pray for those who are enduring through um, the mundane, the commonplace, that you would encourage them that this time is purposeful, that you are accomplishing your kingdom of salvation in so many lives 
every day that we have on this earth. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, God, that you would use us to accomplish that, that your kingdom would grow through our efforts here on this earth, Lord. God, we thank you for your son in whom we put all of our hope. Amen.